0: of Sunseed The Journey and today's host Amrita Cohen.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Sunseed Wisdom Talks. We're going to start today by lighting the candle of divine unity. Sorry for the slight delay today. We had some technical difficulties, but we're all ready to go. Today, we have three <laughs> friends as our special guests. The interfaith amigos. You might think at first that they would perhaps seem to be unusual to create a camaraderie. They first met just after 9-11, almost 20 years ago. At that time, they all felt the need to bring healing and information and share with others the the truth of what was going on for them in, in a time of great turmoil over time they worked together they became very good friends and respected each other and each other's religious traditions so i'm going to introduce with great joy the interfaith amigos ted falcon rabbi ted jewish tradition hello
2: Good to be here, Emmer
1: Don McKinsey, Pastor Don. He's a member of the uh, minister in the United Church of Christ. Don, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Emmer And Iman Jamal Rahman, who is in the Islamic Sufi tradition. Iman Jamal, thank you for joining.
3: Honored to be here. Thank you.
1: Today we're going to do something a little bit differently. Usually we start with a discussion and questions and answers, but today we have a special treat. The three friends have agreed to do a special presentation for us. So we're going to jump right into that. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the Interfaith Amigos.
2: <laughs> I know we can hear the applause even through uh, the ethers. The reality is for us, Emmertot. we are delighted to be joining you. Uh, We're delighted for this opportunity to share with you and with your viewers and to let you know a little bit about what we've been up to and to respond to your questions as well as the questions of your listeners. we begin by kind of looking at why interfaith is so critical to each and every one of us Um, and i share something of my history given that um, i grew up in an area called cleveland heights in ohio which had a relatively balanced mix of jewish people and non-jewish people i had jewish as well as christian friends but um, at the end of my junior high school experience we moved to a suburb where there were very very few jews and i discovered something i had never encountered before and that was a kind of violence um, from those who called me christ killer and worse um and i learned what it was like to meet literal violence uh, aimed at jewish people Um, it was mystifying at first and i began to understand the incredible animosity i had good friends who suddenly told me that they could no longer come to my house or have me come to their house because their parents had discovered that we were Jewish. Um, It became clear to me that antisemitism was not just a fact of history, um, but it was a present reality. And the truth is even now, uh, there are more uh, violent acts Uh, against Jewish people and Jewish institutions than against any other religious group in this country. Uh, And this is happening right now. It appears somewhat hidden uh, given the other crises in which we are involved. But for me, it's very real and it's something with which I live so i began to understand that something was deeply wrong i discovered that there's something within the christian tradition that kind of inbreeds anti-jewishness a usurping of the wisdom of my tradition and taking it away from the jewish sources so the kind of dialogue that i've been involved in and the especially the dialogue with the interfaith amigos has allowed a kind of healing to emerge not only for me personally but a way of communicating the possibility of deeper healing of deeper understanding of deeper cooperation uh, that can be expanded and shared with a larger interfaith community. Uh, interfaith dialogue is an essential aspect of my ministry, of my life. Brother Don.
3: I think it's, uh, I'll go ahead, Brother Ted. Uh, uh, I'll go next. Uh, you're right. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, Unless Don wants to go first, but I, no, I, I no. okay. So uh, let me start with my uh, story in London with my hair was black many decades ago. I was a student and I came across this group called the skinheads who had a very strange philosophy that, you know, the, the economy and culture of Great Britain was declining because of the influx of these South Asian immigrants. And all we had to do was uh, scare them and they would go home and Great Britain would become great again. Uh, So I I had some encounters with these hate group skinheads, but there was one particular encounter that really uh, was dangerous. I felt uh, I could have been killed. Uh, It was uh, way more beyond just uh, uh, racial discrimination. For the first time, I felt a a fear of my physical safety. And I never experienced that before. It was a uh, very, All I can say is a a strange feeling. Anyhow, uh, I managed to get out of uh, England, come to America to study and things were fine uh, until 9-11. Then my uh, religion became a problem, (laughs) especially in airports and uh, uh, ports of entry. I don't want to exaggerate. I mean, I have got good connections. Uh, friends who protect me very fiercely. but I, I became aware both from my London experience and from my American experience that you know when there is uh, this feeling of not belonging, uh, not only is it make me does it make me dysfunctional or, or my Islamic community dysfunctional, it makes the entire community. Dysfunctional, You know, a a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. When one part of the body is not feeling well, the entire body feels unwell. We are unimaginably interconnected. Brother Don. Uh,
0: Thank you. Thank you both my brothers. Um, Friends, you've heard um, truths being named by my two colleagues. Which, um, all, uh, which each point to the Christian repudiation of Judaism and Islam. Uh, I don't need to tell you that Christianity repudiates everybody who isn't Christian. And um, that's a horrible, um, I would say, misinterpretation of Jesus' teachings. But where does that leave me? Here I am, a straight, white, male, Protestant, American, what experience have I had with persecution? None. Except one tiny, and I use the word tiny because in comparison to persecution, it's very small. But I'm left handed. <laughs> Which, you know, writing with my left hand, that's not a big deal. But for the first five years of elementary school, I was chosen last for the softball team because I was left-handed. And it wasn't until Little League came to my town and discovered that being left-handed you could play first base and overnight I was a hero. But what that left-handedness did was put a crack, a very tiny crack in the monolith of my privilege. And that has been with me all my life and I think that That was one of the reasons why when uh, my two colleagues and I started to work together, I had a a predisposition to understand more and so forth. I think all this came to a head, though, for me at a community Thanksgiving service that was held in our church in Seattle, University Congregational, and I offered to have the cross uh, covered because it was an interfaith um, Thanksgiving service. And the organizers told me that because it was a Christian church, they always honored the, the um, tradition of whoever was hosting the service. So we did not cover the cross. But when I got up to welcome people, I felt moved to say that I understood that the cross for non-Christian people was not a friendly symbol. In fact, it could be a symbol of violence and persecution. And so that for me, when the cross became a symbol of uh, inclusion, hospitality, unconditional love, oneness, compassion, all the things that are so important, I would really feel good about its use as a symbol. It just seemed to make sense to me to say this. And I looked out at the congregation, many of whom were not Christians and they were crying. And I suddenly realized just how important it is for a Christian person to be able to begin, just begin to empathize with the lives of people who've been considered to be the other, who've been persecuted and so forth. So again, like my two colleagues, interfaith dialogue is crucial to all these activities.
3: Thank you, brothers. we always say that uh, it's not just even matter of hospitality interfaith, it's a matter of our survival and how critical it is to build trust and connect with the other on a human level.
0: And so interfaith cooperation, we believe, can help us to work more effectively toward the things we need right now, social justice and environmental justice.
2: And interfaith dialogue can help us deepen our shared spiritual quest that we might awaken to the deeper kind of healing that needs to be.
0: So greetings, everyone. And thank you, Amitat, for inviting us to be with you today with you and everyone here and to give us the opportunity to share with you all uh, the things that we've been learning on the way of our pilgrimage for the last 19 or 20 years. When we started working together after 9-11, we used to open our presentations by saying, it's a troubled world, is it not? We had no idea, and now we can't even imagine what the what the right thing to say would be because the world is so deeply divided, so troubled, so badly in need of cooperation and justice and so forth. The. Um, the first sentence of Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled begins with this, with the phrase, life is difficult. He doesn't say it's impossible or bad, but it suggests the need for in, being intentional and focused on the things that do help us to be inclusive and so forth. And these days we would we would say also that there's a deep need to find ways to help each other, given all the things that are happening. And so we believe once again, that interfaith dialogue can be very helpful as we find ways to navigate our way through these very turbulent and difficult times.
2: Thank you, Brother Don. It's important to state that we have learned to begin with two basic assumptions, uh, two basic principles. One is that every authentic spiritual path is an avenue